Romans 6, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read our text to us. 771, fusing one of our Bibles. So what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under the grace. This is the word of the Lord from Romans chapter six. And so we've been in a teaching series past few weeks called Alive. And we've been looking at this reality that since Jesus Christ is alive, it has many implications for how we live right now. And so today I'm incredibly excited. We're going to be talking about baptism and the part that baptism plays in a person's journey as they come to understand that Jesus isn't a myth and that Jesus isn't just a fun story to tell that makes us feel good, but that this is a part of a believer's journey when they understand that Jesus Christ is actually alive and well and on the throne. And so I want to set our passage, and I want to set teaching up like this today by telling this story. A couple years ago, there was this girl who's a part of our church family. Her name's Becca, and uh, she's a photographer. And she called my wife and I one day, and she said, hey, I want, to, uh, I want to give you guys something. She said, a couple times a year, I, I like to reach out to different people and, and, and give them a photography session to just bless their family. You know, Christmas is coming up. I don't know if you send out Christmas cards, but, but wanted to give you a, a photo session just to, to, to bless your family. And so I go home and I'm telling my wife about this and you know, we're just kind of talking and, and we can't get our minds around this. Like, I don't, if you're a photographer, I don't know really what you do, but, but I know that it involves computer and allows a lot of editing. And so I just, I know she was just like sitting at her computer one day and out of the, the goodness of her heart, she thought, man, I wanna, I wanna bless the steals. And it was her idea and it was gonna cost her immensely. It was gonna cost her time. It was gonna cost her energy. It was gonna cost her things that, that she could be working on other things. And it was her idea to bless us. She wanted to give this to us. And the choice that my wife and I and our family had to make is would we receive this incredible gift, this blessing that she wanted to give to us? And that's the way that I want us to, to come at baptism today, that baptism is, is this offer from Jesus. Hey, will you receive all that I'm longing to give to you? So let's jump in. I want to unpack what he wants to give to us. Verse three, that's what Paul says. says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that, we, that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so Paul, the man who wrote this, he's just really sharp. And, and you know, he's way smarter than me. For those of you in the room that are smart, you just, you get this. But if you're dumb like me, you have to really just dive in. And so I spent all week going, man, what is he saying? And how do I teach this to our, our church family? And so on a basic level, I just want to kind of go through and unpack some of the stuff that he's talking about. And so baptism, and, and some of you know this, but, but some of you don't. Baptism is, is going underwater and coming out again. There's so much more than just a bath, okay? We talk about baptism around our house a lot. My, my wife, we have three little kids, a five-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And we, when we have baptism, we try to bring our kids, and we just talk about it. And my, my kids hear me praying about this for them at night, that they would come to know Jesus, they would give their lives from baptism. So, you know, this is a conversation we had on Wednesday. Finley's sitting at the dinner table, my oldest, and she said, Dad, I got baptized today. And Jones across the table, my son, three-year-old, he said, yeah, me too, dad, I got baptized. And, and because in their mind, all baptism is, is, is going underwater and, and coming out. And they're like, dad, that's what we do every night at bath time. Like we, we go underwater and we come up and I've been baptized and, 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 and going under the water is just that. Let me tell you what baptism is though. Baptism is, is baptism because what is going on in someone's heart in that moment. Baptism, the most basic level, is this stepping into union with Jesus. It's this relationship. It's this declaration that to Jesus, Jesus, I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to have me, and I want to have you. It is about this, uh, this willingness, this desire, this wanting to be deeply associated with Jesus. And maybe the closest thing that we have in our culture is marriage, but even marriage comes up short to what God is doing for us in baptism. What's going on in the heart when, when someone goes into the water and they come up? It's, it's this understanding where you begin to understand that the love that the Father and Jesus, the Son and the Holy Spirit has for you, and there's something that is happening, this desire for relationship with the God of the heavens. And baptism is, is not primarily, okay, about getting something from Jesus. Baptism is about getting Jesus. That's very different. When I got married almost 10 years ago, I didn't marry my wife, Courtney, for the stuff that she had. Don't get me wrong. I was very excited about the two-door 97 Explorer that I was about to inherit, right? Like <laughs> that I didn't step into marriage for the things that she had. I stepped into marriage because I wanted her. And baptism is this moment where, where we receive Christ. This relationship with Christ, notice how many times he says this in verses three through eight. Go back and read it. How many times it says with him? And so it's not this moment where Jesus shows up and just gives you things and says peace. No, it's this moment where he takes you. It says you're mine forever. He says we're buried with him. We are united with him. We die with him. We live with him. It's relational. And the best part about baptism is that Jesus is actually real. Okay? And Jesus speaks. Jesus comforts. Jesus heals. And he strengthens us. And he cries with us. Today, two years ago to this day, my wife and I had a miscarriage and we lost our third kid. And 
I remember being the, the very first time I came back to worship with my brothers and sisters over at Marathon. And I'm sitting there, I'm just weeping. My heart just feels like it's on the floor. And this brother gets up and he knows what has happened and he comes up and he just kneels behind me, puts his hands on my shoulder. And in that moment, I can't explain it, but if you're a Christian, you know this. I just, I felt Jesus just wrapping his arms around me and crying with me, showing me his tears. Showing me the hurt that was in his heart. And I tell you this because Christ is real. Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, which means that the same scriptures, the same things that he's doing in the scriptures are the same things that he's doing in your life and the same things he's doing in this church and the same things that he's doing in my life today. And when we understand baptism is this relationship is that we're stepping into this life with this real God who loves us, who speaks, who protects us, who defends us. You know, I was sitting here at the nine o'clock next to this couple and a couple years ago, I mean, their marriage was on the, on the brink and they were, they were separated and, and they're sitting beside me at the nine and I'm going, man, it's because of, of Jesus. The real Jesus who fights for us and he fights with us. He gets in the mess of our lives and he gets in the pain and he's real. And baptism is this moment where we step in this union with Jesus, this unbreakable union, at least on his part, with Jesus. But I also want to talk about what we receive because it's, it's amazing what, what you receive when, when Jesus comes into your life. And I want to talk about what it is that he offers us, very simply. See this in verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. And the first thing that we receive from Jesus in baptism is that because of Jesus, our old self is crucified. In baptism, because of Jesus, our old self is crucified. So let's start with Jesus. Hebrews chapter four tells us that, that Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that he died a sinner's death. Paul will connect these dots a little bit more succinctly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he will say, God made this Jesus, he made him who had no sin, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so baptism, understand this, it isn't this place where we do anything. Baptism is this place where God does something where God deals with our sin and where God puts to death the force that's inside of us that enslaves us. Here's what I think Paul's saying. Let me bring it into my life. This is what I think he's talking about in verses six and seven. Before I was a follower of Jesus, there was a force, Paul would call it our flesh, that was at work in my life, that was strong and real, that waged war on my mind and my heart. And here's the way that it would work. So basically, every time something passed through my mind, especially things that were sinful, I would just act on it. So I'd have a lustful thought about a girl, and I'd instantly act on it. I'd go look, or I'd pursue. Or I would do something wrong, and I would be caught red-handed. And instead of owning up to what I would did, I would just lie. For those of you who are Christians, you, you understand this force. 
you know that this force is strong and real. And what Paul is telling us here is that when you and I begin to understand that Jesus Christ died for us, that he rose from the dead and that he did that to save us, when you and I begin to believe in this Jesus, when we give our lives to this Jesus in baptism, when, 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 we, when we do that, when we express faith, when we give our lives to him in baptism, he allows his death on the cross to be God's judgment, God's final and complete and full judgment on our sin. And he also puts to death that controlling force in our lives. He'll say this in Romans chapter eight, verse three, said that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. He'll say this in Romans chapter three, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You see, my friends, that, that what happens in baptism is that all that we were and all that we did and all that we live for, it takes its last breath and it dies in the water. And it's all because of Jesus. A bath doesn't suddenly start make, making God view us as people who have never sinned. But when we believe that Christ died and that his death was for us and for our sin. Scripture tells us that God, when he sees that faith, when he sees us taking this step, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus. And he takes every bit of our sin. I want to talk about this because it's also important. You know, for, for, for the believer, it's, it's not that, that after baptism, like you have this magical pill that you're just all, all of a sudden, like temptation never comes your way and you never sin, like you're impenetrable, right? That's none of our stories. If you say that's your story, you're a liar and we need to talk after church. That's basically what Romans 3 says. No, but, but what happens? Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. He says that, that I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And so here's this man who has been born again. He's given his life to Jesus. He has faith in Jesus. And yet he's saying in the very next chapter, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And I go, I don't know about you, but that might be the most relatable verse in all the Bible. And what Paul's wanting us to understand, it's not that we never stumble. It's not that we never sin. It's that the person that we were before baptism, before Jesus meets us in that place, that person is dead, is wiped out. Right, for those of you who follow of Jesus, we continue to stumble, we continue to sin, but, but the difference is that the Spirit of God is a controlling force in our lives. The Spirit who leads us to, into lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The, the Spirit who, who, when the enemy puts thoughts into our minds, we're able to, to identify and become aware of what the enemy is trying to do. We remember what happens when we, when we take the bait. We remember the guilt and the shame. We remember the consequences, the way it affects others. And the Spirit of God illuminates the enemy's plans in our lives. This is what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. That you have this new force that was stronger than the old force that leads you into lives of holiness and righteousness. That gives you the strength to say no. And the reality is that we continue to sin. And the Spirit's job is to convict us. John chapter 16. That it's like if you, if you eat bad food, you get food poisoning, and your body knows this doesn't belong, 
right? And so it works and works and works until it gets it out. And the same thing the Spirit of God does in us for believers, that when there's sin, when we stumble, he knows that, that what sin does is it keeps us in bondage. That we're so worried about what other people are going to think and, and we're, we're trying to manage our own image and we're, we're too scared to even let people in on our real lives. And when we confess that sin, the Holy Spirit, he leads us to confess that we find freedom and healing. And so this is what Jesus does in baptism. He puts to death the person that we were. The second thing that we receive in baptism, because of Jesus, we're given a new life. It's not that Jesus just died, he rose from the dead. And that's important on so many levels because we serve a risen and alive Savior who sees us, who hears us, is coming back for us. But it's also important for us to understand that the goal of our lives isn't just to let God put to death the person that we were. The goal of our lives is to, to fully live. You know, I was in this awesome class when I was in college that we went to the Tennessee women's prison on Wednesday nights. And half the class were inmates and half the class were college students. And I remember there was this one student in there that, that she and I became friends. And so we would talk before class and talk after class. And, and we would write notes back and forth kind of throughout the week just to keep up. And I will never forget the day that I'm working in my office and I hear that knock on the door and there she is. And it's an incredibly joyful moment. You see, up until that point, our, our whole friendship had been, had been limited to the prison. I didn't know her before this. And so the, all our interactions, all I knew her was, was in this life. That she was known for her number, her prison cell number. She was known for the clothes that she wore and the food that she ate. But something changed when her debt had been paid. And how foolish it would have been for her to stay in that prison when the debt had been paid. And my fear is that for many Christians, we've been taught or maybe we believe that the goal of our lives is just to get baptized. No, we, the person that we were gets put to death, man, but the, the good stuff comes on the other side of baptism. We understand this new life that's been given to us. I was thinking about how, and this isn't always the case, but, but there's something fun, there's something good about, about new things. You get a new pair of shoes, you get a new computer, you get a new pet, you get a new shirt, you get a new book, you get a, a new relationship, and the reality is that when you get something new, man, it, it just brings this thrill into you, and you, and you think about it, and you talk about it, you can't not, not talk about it, right? And the reality is that, and this is, this is bad news, the, the, the minute we get something new, it begins to depreciate, right? So if some of you just got a new pet, bad news, that thing's on a downward spiral, right? Like, <laughs> I have a pet. I can talk about that. I'm sad with you. I get it. <laughs> you get a new pair of shoes. The reality is uh, tomorrow, a newer pair of shoes is coming out. And everything about our lives right now, as soon as they are new, they begin to depreciate. But that is not so in Christ. That is not so for a believer. Paul will say, this, say it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, though we are wasting away outwardly, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It's that same word, this newness of life. The life of a believer actually appreciates it gets better, it gets stronger, that the more we follow Jesus, the more we actually look like Jesus. 
the more we think like Jesus, the more we talk like Jesus, that the layers are pulled off and Christ starts to reign in our hearts. And he's not just this person that we read about, that, that we start to actually live like him and care about people like him and think about the things that he cares about. And our lives start to look like Jesus. And this magnificent thing happens when you begin to embrace this newness of life. And what we choose to do with this newness of life is incredibly important. Paul will say this in verse 10. The death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Part of the battle is believing this. That Christians, we have the hardest time believing that we're actually in Christ. That the enemy comes, and the enemy is real, okay? Like, if you believe in Jesus... They're, they're not co-equal. They're not even close to equal in power or authority or anything, but they are just as real, okay? And the enemy is real. And, and what he does, as you see this in scripture, I can tell you about my life, the way this manifests, but he lies and he accuses. And you and I, man, we just get baited into it. We start taking it as truth. And so the way this will play out is that you and I, we will sin, we will stumble, and he will convince us that we do not belong. I mean, I know it to be true that there are people who walk through these doors today because I've been there so many times. And, and, and all you can think about is a sin that, that crept in your heart last week or last month, or maybe it was five years ago, and you just haven't been able to get past it. And the enemy is lying to you that you've done too much, that the, that the grace, that the love of God is outrun of you, has outrun you. You kind of view like, like, like God has had so much mercy in, in the hourglass. There's no more sand in it. And so you come in here and you're hoping that God will do something, but the enemy is so convincing you that you've gone too far, you've done too much. And he has this way of his word overpowering if we're not careful. We give him this this. this room into our lives to speak. And it means that we completely forget about the things that are in the concrete words of God about who we are and what Christ has done for us. And so we sin and we stumble and we instantly start thinking about how terrible we are and how much we've done. And we totally forget about passages like Romans chapter eight, verse one, where it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We totally forget about passages like at the end of Romans chapter eight, where it says, I'm convinced that there's nothing in the past or nothing in the present that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so part of the battle is for you and I just to believe it, for us to consider ourselves, to count ourselves dead to sin. The problem is so many of us, we come to this place and we're still okay calling ourselves sinners. You're not sinners. That person was put to death. That person is done. That person is set aside. It says, count yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You know, life with Jesus, it isn't just about making sure sin doesn't bubble up in our lives. It's not just sin management. No, our lives in Jesus, what it means to walk in, in newness of life, there, there definitely is the, this seriousness of walking in holiness and taking his words very seriously and walking in them, but it's also this offensive game, this offensive reality. What it means to walk in newness of life is that, that you and I, we get to carry the, the very words that set people free. That you and I get to be a part of encouraging and building each other up. We get to pray for each other. We get to, to, to share our lives and our hearts and our resources and every part of who we are with each other. 
And when you and I begin to understand the purpose that God has for us, the life and the joy and the peace and what we have with God, we will never be content to just get out of hell. You know, one of my favorite things about Christianity is that the moment you become a Christian, you instantly want people around you to know the God that you know. And it's not just about you, and it's not just about you making sure that you're good with God. The beauty about Christianity is that you start to turn your eyes to your friends and your neighbors and your kids and your coworkers, and you're going, man, I know God, and I want people around me to know. And that purpose, man, when your life becomes about advancing the kingdom of God and seeing people come into to life with Jesus, man, you will discover your true purpose. You'll discover a life that is fun to walk in. So here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. Take a piece of bread and we drink a cup of juice. We do this every week to remember Jesus, to remember that his death on the cross was for us, that he rose from the grave, that he is alive, that he's at the Father's right hand preparing a place for us, that he will come back for us. And we take communion, we remember, we celebrate these things. And if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, my invitation for you as we take communion is to step in and to claim the things that Jesus wants to give to you. You know, I remember a couple years ago when, when my friend, the photographer, when, when Becca said, hey, we want to give this to you. And obviously, I, I allowed my wife to pick out the clothes for our family because you don't want me dressing our family. And, and we get in the car and we're driving over there and I'm like, man, what if she doesn't show up? We'll look like idiots. Right, and some of you are, 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 are that's the fear in, in, in your heart. You're going, man, this sounds good, Brandon. All these things that he's gonna put to death the person I was. There's gonna be this newness life of, but what happens if he doesn't? And I'm telling you, Jesus will meet you in the water. And if you come here today and you're way down and you're shackled, and you've been living life for anything other than Jesus, go down into the water, let him put that force, let him put that life to death and let him give you a new purpose, a new joy, a new meaning in life. And so for those of you who are not Christians, I wanna invite you to fill out this card. Tonight, upstairs at our prayer gathering at seven o'clock, we do this a couple times a year, we fill up this big cow trough full of water. And for anyone who wants to get baptized, they have an opportunity to do that. And so tonight, I wanna to invite you to step into this new life. A life marked by relationship, a life, a life marked by forgiveness and assurance. I wanna invite you here in just a minute. There are gonna be some men and women at Respond Banner. If you wanna give your life to Jesus, come over here and talk to us. Bring that card. For those of you who Jesus is just pulling, tugging at your heart, I invite you to take this step. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I wanna invite you to do a couple things. The first is I wanna invite you to come tonight. That there's something about um, supporting other brothers and sisters as they get down to the water that is just magnificent. And I know maybe you've had a long week or a long weekend and, and it's gonna be hard to get back up here again tonight and you're like, I've never been there before and I get anxious in this situation. Just come, just come. Seven o'clock at, at, at our prayer gathering, you know, uh, scattered across my house are the pictures that Becca took of us. And every time I see them, you wanna know what I think? It reminds me of her kindness to us. And if you're in a lull, if you're in a hard place with God, man, come tonight. There's something about seeing people get in the water that reminds you, that has this way of reminding you of the kindness that God has shown you. So come tonight. Second thing I want to invite you to do in communion if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you. Some of you come in this place and you've been, you're just being so tormented by sin right now. 
I want to invite you to confess that sin. Sin keeps us captive. And there's something about bringing it into the light with a trusted brother or sister that just has this way of bringing such freedom into our hearts. And so during communion, if you're just being, if you're aching over a sin or a struggle, I mean, bring that to a brother or sister. Let them pray for you. If you don't know anyone here, come to the respond. There'll be some men and women that would love to pray for you. And we will keep things close to our chest. We're not going to share the things that you share with us in private, okay? So don't be fearful of that. And the third is during communion, I want to invite us to, for, for, for us to gather our chairs. If, if you don't need to confess sin and if you're not contemplating baptism, let, let's gather our chairs and share the things that, that we're thankful for, that God has done in our lives. For those of you who are believers, man, start count the blessings of your life. Think about the prayers that God has answered. Let this time with Jesus be this just sweet moment of, of thanksgiving and praise and acknowledgement. Oh man, God, I've been asking you things for years and you've been giving to them and I haven't stopped to say thank you. And so may we come to the table, may we come to Jesus, may we come with each other and give him thanks for who he is and what he's done. Let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. God, thank you for my sisters and my brothers and children that are gathered here today. God, I pray that you would just put a hedge of protection around us. I know that every time your word is proclaimed, the enemy is after us. And I pray that you would just bar him from this bar, that, that you would do space with your people. And God, the things that were from you that maybe seem to be too good to be true, that you would just let them soak down to the realities of our heart, that they would bear fruit in our lives. God, for those who, who you are calling into baptism, let them hear your voice so clearly. And may they give their lives to you. May we tonight just celebrate and enjoy you. And God, for, um, um, yeah, just for, for the, the places that the enemy is working where he has had just such holds on us, man, as we confess, as we worship, as we come to you at the table, would you just bring your light and your freedom? Jesus, thank you for who you are. We love you. We acknowledge you, that you're real, that you are everything. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.